Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning throughout the month of October. And uh, we have several different ways that we strive to reach out into our community and our world. And so I want to encourage you as God has blessed you to consider how that you will step in and help. And, and again, there's more than one opportunity and, and obviously we have different things throughout the year. But I want to encourage you to, to find those things where uh, God has given you a, a passion and step out and help in whatever that is, whether it's trunk or treat and uh, decorating a trunk or bringing candy and, uh, or the Bryant School Outreach that we try to do a couple things a year to reach out to our neighborhood school. You know, our goal is that people will hear of the love of God, but through our lives that they will see the love of God. And our love makes the invisible God visible. And that's our goal, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and love the world like God loves us. And uh, so I encourage you to consider ways. I, uh, I know we have a, a guy in our church who went to Bryant School and his parents actually went to Bryant School and in 1935. Anybody remember the earthquake of 1935? Okay, they, uh, they used boxcars and they met in boxcars for a while because the school was, was damaged and so his parents were actually part of that but his, some of his kids and grandkids have gone to Bryant and so he has a special passion for Bryant and to be able to step in and help there. And, and I'm excited to see what God does. So I want to encourage you to be involved as God has blessed you to serve and to give, to be able to help reach our community and our world and demonstrate God's love to a world that needs to see that. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we recognize that you as Almighty God love us more than we can imagine. And Lord, as we consider how we're to relate to one another, may we recognize how you love us. Lord, help us not just to learn your word this morning, but to live a different life because of the principles that your word has for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, we're continuing our series on one another. And we've been looking at, at ways that we're called to relate to one another. In the New Testament alone, we see that over 60 times that phrase, one another, is used. God created us for relationship. Ultimately, and the priority relationship needs to be our relationship with God. But we're also called to have relationship with one another. And there are many different ways that we honor God in how we relate to one another. So this morning, we're continuing our series of one another, and we're going to look at another difficult task. None of them are easy. But the task of serving one another. In our natural selves, we would rather be served than to serve. That is our natural sin nature. What are you going to do for me? We think that rather than, what can I do for you? But in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight 
into what the church should look like as we serve one another. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. It says this, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole, whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love." As we mature, as we grow in Christ, our natural action should be that of service. And as we all serve one another, and as we serve the world around us, the church is strengthened and the Gospel is proclaimed. In this passage, we see several different things. Several different pictures of what the church should look like. And we see in these first verses, we see God's pattern for the church. It begins in verse 11 where leaders are called to equip. Ephesians 4, verses 11 in the first part of verse 12 says, And He Himself, that's Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. You see, there are ones that are called to lead the church. And they're challenged to equip the people for the work of the ministry. So leaders are called to equip. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on and continuing in verse 12. And we see that people are to serve. Ephesians 4.12, the last part of the verse says, for the work of the ministry. So we, we saw that the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We often fall into a misconception that the church pays the staff to do the work. God's plan isn't that. God's plan is that we all do the work. Every single one of us is part of the family is prepared, gifted to serve together. And we all have a part that we are called to do. If you, uh, I know it's football season, if you have a favorite football team and, and you say, okay, we paid our quarterback a lot of money so they need to do everything. And the linemen stop and say, you know, I don't get paid as much as the quarterback, so I'm just going to sort of let, let him handle it and I'm just going to sort of sit on the sidelines and enjoy Gatorade. What's going to happen to the team? It's going to be a disaster. We're all called to do our part. The people are called to serve. So we need to be equipped to serve. And then he goes on in verse 13, as we see the, the final part, the piece of the puzzle of God's pattern is that we all mature. Ephesians 4.13 says, "...till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." 
The term perfect man means mature. It doesn't mean that we don't sin, but it's that we are mature followers of Christ. And we mature when we become more like Him. And so, God's pattern is this. Leaders are called to equip. The people are called to serve. And we're all called to grow, to mature. And then he goes on in verses 14-16 through 16 and talks about in our individual lives and as we relate to each other, our process. As individuals, we're to grow spiritually just as we're to grow physically. We begin as a child. In verse 14 it says this, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Children are influenced by everything around them and without direction, they can go the wrong way. If you have children, I'm sure every single one of you can remember the time when, when they come back and say something they did and you say, what were you thinking? Anybody ever have that? What were you thinking? And the answer is probably they weren't. But guess what? As adults, we have that same struggle. But, but in children, sometimes it is very obvious. It's like, didn't you think about what would happen if you did that? No. As children, we need help. As children, we need to grow. And children are influenced by everything around them. It's amazing. I consider or I think about the times I got in trouble in, in school and almost every single time it was one of my friends who came up with an idea and I thought, yeah, that's great. The principal didn't think it was as great as we did. I remember one time we were, we were out and, and uh, we, during lunch there was sort of a boring time and, and so it was fall and, and this neighbor had a garden, the neighbor to the school had a garden. And in that garden he grew a bunch of different things, but he, he grew like, um, I don't even actually exactly know what it was, but it was good as about baseball sized and fun to throw. And so one of our friends said, hey, let's go over there and we'll have a contest. So we all went over there and had a contest. And it was amazing the hour after lunch, the next period after lunch, we got a call. And you can't understand the, the, the intercom anyway, but I understood that my name was mentioned along with several others. We were, had the opportunity to go and see Mr. Ficani. And Mr. Ficani was like, what were you thinking? As a child, we're, we're tossed to and fro. We, we, somebody has an idea and we say, hey, that's great, let's go do it. But we can't stay a child. We're called to grow. So the next part of our process is that we are growing. Verses, or verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. As we mature in Christ, we're to be more like Him. We're to grow up in all things into Him. Begins speaking the truth in love. We're, we're wise in what we say. And we grow and mature in Christ. 
And then we see the ultimate in the process that Paul shares here in verse 16 is that of serving. Verse 16 says, "...from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love." Paul's picture of maturity is interesting. While there are other aspects of maturity, and I don't mean to minimize them, what does Paul focus on as the ultimate in maturity? The ultimate in maturity is that I do my part to fulfill the work of the whole. He uses it, compares it to a body here. But I do my part to make that whole body work well. We are to serve. We're to do our part. Oftentimes we think maturity means that I can quote a lot of Bible verses. Now, listen carefully. The psalmist tells us, Your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against God. It's important to know God's word. I'm not minimizing that. But maturity is more than knowledge. Maturity is taking that knowledge and living differently because of the knowledge that we've gained. And Paul here says, maturity is serving one another. Is doing your part to make the whole work well. And when I'm willing to serve, and I recognize that God has prepared me for the service that He's called me to, it's going to affect those people around me that I am in relationship with. It's going to affect the church. It's going to affect my neighborhood. It's going to affect my workplace. It's going to affect my family as I serve God and serve others. So also in these verses, we see that, that we find four different ways that we measure maturity. How can I tell I'm mature? Well, the first way in thir verse 13 is that there's unity in the faith. It speaks of unity many times in the New Testament. Maturity will cause us to be wise in recognizing what's most important and gracious in our conversation, even concerning difficult topics. It's interesting, right in the middle of this in verse 15, it says, speak the truth in love. He talks about unity and maturity on either side of it, but in the middle of it, he seems to throw that in. Why? Because if I am a mature person, I am going to speak with grace. Now, I'm going to stand for truth. And oftentimes, we sort of take it as a badge of honor that I am going to teach that person a lesson. And, and we may be speaking truth, but we're speaking it so harshly that we lose an audience. And by the way, social media is one of the worst ways as Christians, we're to be known as mature people. We're to be known as being like Christ. And that involves being gracious toward those around us. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about love one another. And the importance of love is, is a demonstration, an act of the will as I 
put another before myself. Last week we talked about forgiving one another. When someone has hurt me, I need to forgive them. It's not based on their merit. It's not based on whether I feel like it. It's not based upon them changing their direction, repenting and becoming a different person. It's not even based upon them asking for it. I am called to be a forgiving person because God has forgiven me. And I'm also called to serve. And to graciously relate to other people as I put them first, my goal is to serve them. But we're to have unity in the faith. That's a sign of maturity. We get along. We encourage one another. And and I was going to draw a picture and put it up on the screen and I didn't do it. And I, I'm kicking myself because I didn't do it because I have a little bit of pride and you would have looked up at the picture and you would have said, what is that? So I didn't. But, but what I was going to do, and so you've got to pretend it's up there, is a picture of, of a, a deserted island, maybe a few palm trees on it, and, and uh, a guy's on the island and there's three buildings and, and the middle building is his house. And, and this group of people come to rescue him. And they say, so there's three buildings. Are, how many people are here? And the guy says, well, I'm the only one. Really? Well, why are there three buildings? And he said, well, the building in the center, that's my house. I thought, oh, that looks nice. You must have worked hard to build that. Oh, yeah. Well, well what's the building on the right? Well, that's my church. Oh, Great. You're a religious man. That's wonderful. Well, what's the building on the left? Well, that's my former church. Some of you will get that a little later. (laughs) We have a hard time with unity. It's got to be our way. And we don't put others first. It's interesting that, that throughout the New Testament, so many times as... Paul and others are writing to churches and groups of people. They tell them, unity. You need to strive for unity. Now, I say this and I look at our church and I'm amazed at the unity that we have. God has done amazing things and it's for God's glory and it's because I believe that there are people that are desiring to grow, to serve, to put others first. But we've got to continue to work at that. So a sign of maturity is unity. Another sign of maturity that Paul mentions here is knowledge of the Son of God. He continues on there in verse 13 and into verse 14 saying that that we need to know Christ better. We need to know Him to be like Him. We need to study His Word. In any relationship, we grow when we know that other person. If you've been married for any length of time, I hope that you know your spouse better than the day you got married. We need to continue to grow in that knowledge of Christ. And then we see stability in our faith. Verse 14, that mature person, that child is pushed each and every way by the winds of those around them. A mature person will be able to recognize right and wrong and to be stable. And then in verse 16, serving one another. Service is an indication of maturity. Verse 16 reminds us that we have our part to do. And as we do our part and everyone else does their part, the the church will grow and impact the community. The world will see 
it as we function together, each doing what we're called to do. Unfortunately, there are some misguided mindsets that keep us from maturing and impacting the world around us. Misguided mindsets. And I pray you don't think these are harsh, but I challenge each and every one of us to look at our lives to see at any time we can fall into any one of these misguided mindsets. One misguided mindset is I'm just an observer. You know, I'm just here to watch. That's not what God calls us to do. I guarantee it, if you're an observer, after a period of time, you're going to lose any passion and you're going to make no impact. We're not called to be observers. Now maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, this church thing is new and, and, and I'm just sort of checking it out. Well, I'm glad you're here. And we have the greatest love story ever told. The story of God sending His Son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. But oftentimes, there are people who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and then they just want to sit back and watch. That's not what God calls us to do. We're called to be active, not just observe. Now there's a second mindset here, and I know all of them are up on the screen here, so you're probably already thinking ahead, and, and, uh, so, uh, but just uh, bear with me here. The second one is a citizen mindset. I demand my rights. Now, when we think of citizen, we think of it in a positive way, and in many ways it is. And, and we're called. I mean, it says, you know, I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. And, you know, this world is not my home. The old song saying, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But when we have a citizen mindset set of, I, I deserve my rights, it becomes all about me. Now, as a citizen, I have rights. But my goal cannot be to focus on what's mine. I'm called to put others first. And then there's a third mindset that really fits with the second one, and that's a consumer mindset. I've come to be served. What can you do for me? You know, I, I come and I want, you know, I want things that, that are best for me. And I guarantee you with the consumer mindset, you're going to become pretty discouraged. Because the first time something happens that you don't feel, well, that really wasn't best for me, you're going to be starting to look for someplace, something else. And you're never going to be satisfied. And we all struggle with this. I doubt the last time that uh, maybe you, you and a group, you and your family, or you and a group of workmates or whatever went out to a meal and, and you said, all right, let's, let's pick a spot. And you're thinking, boy, I really hope they pick a spot that I don't like. No. We want our favorite. 
But yet we're called to serve, not to be served. In Matthew chapter 20, the disciples were arguing with who was the greatest. And, and they were fighting. And, and James and John, I mean, they, I mean, they went out of bounds because they even got their mother involved who came to, and said, you know, my son should be sitting at Jesus' left hand and right. This is, you know, and, and the other disciples were like, what? No way. And they were all fighting. And Jesus comes into the middle of their argument. And notice what he says in verses 25 through 28 of Matthew chapter 20. It says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. We're going to stop there for just a second, there at the end of verse 25. What's happening? Jesus said, Listen, in the world around you, it's all about who has the power, who makes the decisions. Who is in control? But then he goes on in verse 26 and he says, Yet it shall not be so among you. In other words, you're to be different. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Verse 27, And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, listen, don't think about how you can be served. Think about how you can serve. And I guarantee you, every single one of us in this room has gifts, abilities, passions, experience that prepare us to serve. And in formal and informal ways, God has prepared us to serve. And we show maturity when we serve one another. Now, let's give a little context to what's taking place here in Matthew chapter 20, the, the verses I just read, Jesus challenging the disciples. Jesus had just got done saying that he was going to die and rise again. It wasn't the first time. But he said, but those people were not getting it. <laughs> they were not understanding. They thought Jesus was coming and He was going to help them wipe out the Roman Empire so they could be in charge again rather than being slaves and servants and oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so they were like, Jesus, You're here. Let's go. Everything's going to be great. We're going to be on top once again. It'll be good. And Jesus said, listen, I came to die. No, no, Jesus, Jesus, well, you got it the wrong way. And Jesus said, no. In fact, I came here for a different reason. I came here to die so that you could have hope. So that you could have forgiveness of sins. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We're called to serve one another. As a church, we feel our mission is to worship, grow, and share. We're to worship God together. We're to grow in our faith. We're to share the gospel. That's what we're called to do. But how do we grow? 
by each one doing their part so that the whole will work well. Each joint of the body working as they're called to work so the whole body can do what it's called to do. We're called to serve one another. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has gifted you. He has given you abilities to be able to serve others. Now, we have to understand there's, there's a couple different ways that this can happen. In, in the function of the church, we're called to serve. But also in our relationship with everyone around us, we're called to serve. What are ways that you can serve in the body, in the church, and also in your family, in your friendships, in your workplace? Do people look and say, you know, that person is busy serving? And, and I think in many ways we do it well, but we can always do it better. I was talking to someone this week who, uh, had, a, who had a minor surgery and they're doing well and, and it was neat. The church had like three meals that we provided for them and, and so those were done. But the people were like, we've got a bunch of food because other people just said, hey, I'm bringing something over. And those people were overwhelmed by the generosity, by the service of other people that were part of the body that stepped up to serve. It can be something simple. It can be something big. It can cost financially or it can simply be giving of your time. By the way, I think giving of our time is oftentimes harder than giving financially. We're called to serve. We should be known by, as the people that are continually looking out and encouraging one another and, and helping the people around us by serving. As we follow the example of Jesus Christ, if we go back to the love one another, remember Jesus gave two different pictures of how we're to love one another. Love one another as you love yourself. And that was the original one. We all went back all the way back to the book of Leviticus and, and talked about that, how, how that was the original command that the people of Israel were familiar with that. So in the New Testament, those disciples that were hearing Jesus say, love one another, they'd heard that before. It was to be part of their culture. But they're to love one another as they love themselves. <laughs> we don't have any issue loving ourselves. But we're to love one another. But then he said, but I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus speaking. That elevates what that love looks like. And if you remember last week, Ephesians 4.32, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We're to forgive. Peter was so proud of himself when he said, I'm going to forgive twice as many times as the law commands me to, plus one. The law says you've got to do it three times. I say, God, I'm going to, or Jesus, I'm going to do it seven. 
And Jesus said, no, no, do it 70 times seven. In other words, if you count to 490, you're not forgiving. So it's really an innumerable, innumerable amount of times you forgive. But we're to forgive as God has forgiven us. And now we find we're to serve as God has served us. We're to find ways to serve one another. In Philippians chapter 2, we're challenged to have the mind of Christ. In fact, in verse 5, it says specifically this, have this mind of Christ, have this mind which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not think it was robbery or something to be held on to to be God, but instead made himself of no reputation, took on the form of, ser- of a servant, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. But we're to have that same mind. We're to serve others as Christ has served us. And, and notice in the first four verses, before he gives the example of Christ, beginning in verse 5, he starts with two different ways that we have that mind of Christ. In the first two verses, we have that mind of Christ through unity. Practicing unity in the body. Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded or unified, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We are to be unified but also in serving as we put others first. The next two verses, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We're called to be unified and to serve. Putting others first is that what we do we're to follow the example of Christ so as we close in prayer I'm going to challenge you to go before God and ask a couple questions or open your heart to God in a couple ways one ask God to help you recognize ways that you can serve. And in that, ask God to give you the determination to be known as a servant. But secondly, consider one specific thing that you can do this week to serve. Whether it's toward a spouse, toward family, in the workplace. Just ask God to reveal to you a specific thing that you can do, one specific thing you can do this week to serve. And then make a commitment that, yes, I'm going to do that, and this is how I'm going to do that. Don't just pray, Lord, help me to serve others. Amen. But what one thing am I going to do this week? Now, by the way, you don't have to stop at one, but this morning I want you to consider one ways that you can serve. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we recognize the importance of service. That we are to serve one another as you have served us. 
Lord, that we do our part so that the body as a whole works well. Lord, help us in the church to find ways to serve and help us in our neighborhoods, in our family, in our workplace to be known as servants. To putting others to be those who put others before ourselves. To be great in your kingdom is to be a servant of all. Help us to be that kind of a servant. Lord, each one, help each one of us today as we consider a specific thing that we can do to serve this week. Help us to be diligent in thinking of what that would be and determined to fulfill that commitment. And Lord, may you be glorified in the way that we serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.